Um, I will just say a little bit about me. I think it's always nice to hear a little bit about our speaker. Sorry, let me um, I always like to know a little bit about our speaker, but maybe I'm just nosy. I don't know. Probably that's the case. But I'm married to Pete. He's here. Between us, we've got uh, seven children and four grandchildren, all of whom are very lovely. Um, for my job, I work as an editor, writer, speaker, proofreader, anything really that's connected with words. Um, as Andrew said, I'm um, also a writer. I've written a couple of books. And as part of my role, I'm also responsible for the day-to-day -day running of a small um, Christian publishing house called Instant Apostle. Some of you may or may not have heard of it, I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about who I am. So we're looking this morning at Genesis chapter 15 and chapter 22. We're going to actually look first of all at chapter 22, and then we're going to dip back a little bit into chapter 15. So picture the scene. Sarah and her family finally have been able to settle after all the ups and downs of the last few years. Um, she's grateful for some peace in her life at last. Isaac is growing up, he's probably a young teenager by now. Um, and God has promised to do so much through Isaac. What a privilege it is for Sarah to be his mum. And then one day, pretty much like any other day, Abraham comes to Sarah and he says that God's told him to take Isaac and to go off to a place called Moriah and to worship him, and they'll be gone for a few days. So early next morning, Sarah waves them off, a very excited Isaac, but a quite subdued Abraham. Sarah probably doesn't think any more of it and puts it down to the fact that Abraham feels he's a bit long in the tooth now to be doing these long treks. He is well over a hundred, after all. So then we fast forward about a week. Sarah is in the tent, she hears a bit of a rumpus outside. Ah, she thinks, the boys must be back. I'll just go out and I'll say hello. But before she gets a chance to do that, Isaac comes bounding into the tent. Mum, mum, you'll never guess what happened. And Sarah listens in growing horror as Isaac recounts the events of the last few days. Your dad did what? This is her precious boy, the one that God has promised to them, the gift that God had given to them in their old age. What on earth was Abraham thinking? And we can only imagine the conversation that might take place later between Abraham and Sarah. Would Sarah really comprehend Abraham's reasons? Would she understand his conviction, his faith? Would she agree that he had done the right thing? Or might it always continue to be a source of tension between them? We don't know, do we? And the whole situation from Abraham's point of view, of course, must have been even more difficult. What must have gone through Abraham's mind when he received that instruction from God? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Sorry, run that on you again, Lord? Isaac is the son that God has promised to Abraham and Sarah, and he was born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. 
They'd long given up on the hope of ever having children, but God gave them a miracle. God says about Isaac in chapter 17 of Genesis, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. But yet God's promise here appears to be in direct contradiction with this instruction that he gives to Abraham. If Abraham sacrifices Isaac, how can God fulfill his promise that Isaac's going to have many descendants? It just doesn't make sense. And we're not told that Abraham questions God here. There are a number of other occasions um, in Genesis where Abraham does question and he and Sarah actually take matters in their own hands because it seems to them perhaps that God is a little bit slow in keeping his promise. But perhaps now Abraham has learnt that he can trust God even though the situation seems impossible, seems so bizarre. God after all has come through in impossible situations before. They couldn't even have had a baby and yet God gifted them either even when, humanly speaking, they were too old. So Abraham has faith in God, even though the situation seems impossible. And Abraham takes action straight away. We're told early the next morning, we're told Abraham and Isaac, they set off with two servants, a donkey, and a whole stack of firewood. And it takes them three days to get to Moriah, three long days. Plenty of time for Abraham to be thinking, what am I doing? Plenty of time to be questioning God. Plenty of time to be questioning himself, did I really hear correctly? Plenty of time to be tempted to turn around and go home. But it's testament to Abraham's faith that he didn't do any of those things. Abraham trusts in God even in this seemingly impossible situation. He tells his servants in verse 5, we will worship and then we will come back to you, suggesting here that he's still holding on to God's promise about descendants. And of course, for that to happen, Isaac has got to live. The writers of the Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham is tested right up until that final second. He builds an altar. He ties up his son. He places him on the altar. He reaches for his knife. And at that moment, and only at that moment, does, does God say to him, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Abraham must have wept with relief. Child sacrifice for entity wasn't unheard of in the time and the culture of Abraham. People would um, sacrifice their children to the Canaanite god Molech, believing that it would appease him, 
And needless to say, of course, Abraham's God, Yahweh, is vehemently opposed to this practice. He says in Leviticus 18, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So by preventing Abraham from sacrificing his son, God is actually making a very clear statement here. He's saying, I am different from these other gods, small g. God is not interested in human sacrifices. Rather, what he is interested in is saving, rescuing. So is there a situation in your life that you're facing right now that, humanly speaking, seems impossible? If so, remember Abraham, God took him right up until that final moment, testing his trust, his faith, his commitment. And because Abraham was obedient, he experienced a miracle. And because of his faithfulness to God, God repeated the promise and the blessing to Abraham. Once again, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Faith and obedience in the Bible so often go hand in hand. Faith isn't faith really unless it's being stretched, is it? Abraham was obedient. He took what perhaps appeared to be a risk and he experienced a miracle. Last weekend my, my boys took me to go ape as a late birthday present. I don't know if you've heard of go ape. It's, a, it's like a treetop challenge and there's various rope swings and um, rope bridges and wooden platforms and zip wires and all sorts. You have to climb up into the trees and then you have to make your way from one platform to the next in a, with a various um, variety of challenges and different, um, you know, they differ. Some of them are quite easy, but you have to make your way from one platform to the next. As I say, some of them are quite easy. Some of them you just think, oh my goodness, how on earth am I going to get from here to there? Here's just a, a little example to show you.
But because I took that step, it was such an amazing experience, the exhilaration of, um, and just the sheer, actually, sense of achievement that I've done this. It was, it was a step of faith. So when you can't see the way forward, let me encourage you this morning, have faith. When you can't see with the human eyes, see with the eyes of your heart that there is a bigger picture. God is in complete control. It's not always easy to take that step. It certainly wasn't easy for Abraham. But God is faithful. I've often wondered why God tested Abraham in this way. And I believe actually that there are probably a number of reasons, one of which we've already mentioned, was that God wanted to demonstrate that he was different from the other gods of the culture. He is a God of love, of compassion, of salvation. God promised a son to Abraham and Sarah, and they waited 25 years for the fulfillment of that promise. And it's totally possible, very likely in fact, that once Isaac came along, Abraham and Sarah were completely besotted with him. We've all, maybe we've experienced ourselves, or we've seen new parents with their babies, haven't we? And babies have a way of somehow filling the room, don't they? Dominating the conversation, everything that goes on. They, they can be a distraction from what else is going on around us. And it's and that's absolutely right. Babies are a gift from God and they are to be celebrated. But it's quite possible that Abraham's focus had shifted a little bit from God to Isaac, that perhaps he was more focused on the gift itself rather than the giver of the gift. And maybe God needed to bring Isaac's focus back into alignment. He needed to remind him that he needed to get his priorities back in the right order. Abraham already had another son, Ishmael, uh, by Sarah's slave woman, Hagar. And um, it didn't take much, unfortunately, for Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away as a result of Sarah's jealousy. That happens in chapter 21, just before this testing of Abraham. And so Abraham now only has Isaac left, the child of God's promise. And as I say, it's entirely possible that Abraham's focus is perhaps at the moment more on the gift than it is on the giver. God's gifts to us are always good, but we mustn't allow them to become a distraction. God himself, the giver of the gifts, is always so much more important, and he needs to be our number one priority. So is there perhaps an area of your life where God is wanting to realign your focus? Is there something that's perhaps a distraction for you at the moment, something that's taking your eyes away from God and that is looming rather big in your, in your vision, and perhaps you need to maybe step aside or put that thing aside and realize your focus to God. We will have an opportunity in a short while just to give God the opportunity to speak to us. God's voice is very gentle, it's very loving. God doesn't accuse us, but he reminds us and gently brings us back if we're 
wandering off a little bit away from the path. God's promise to Abraham is huge, way bigger than Abraham could even begin to imagine. His descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's an unimaginable number. And God repeats the promise and the blessing to Abraham a number of times in Genesis. And we know that when God repeats something in the Bible, it's because he really wants his people to get it. He wants them to understand that message. And in these chapters about Abraham, there's actually so much more than perhaps we might see on the first reading. There's a foreshadowing of events that will come hundreds of years later. We read earlier about the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15. Let's just remind ourselves a little bit of what that looked like. So from verse 9 in chapter 15. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now this covenant that God made with Abraham, as he was known then, this was before God had changed his name to Abraham, this covenant was what was known as a suzerain vassal covenant, and it was a covenant between two unequal parties, um, a bit like a lord and his servants. So the suzerain, the controlling party, would promise protection to the vassal, and the vassal in return would promise exclusive loyalty. He would be required to pay tributes, which were a bit like taxes, and he would promise military assistance whenever it was required. And when parties made a covenant like this, it was known as cutting a covenant, and that from, comes from the cutting of the animals that were cut in two to ratify the agreement, to confirm the covenant. And the parties would walk between the two pieces, and by doing that, what they were effectively saying was, if I don't keep my part of the bargain, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. But something a little bit different happens here. Abraham is not the one who passes between the pieces. He's fast asleep. And verse 17 tells us that a blazing torch appears and passes between the pieces. Fire in the Bible is very often a symbol of God's presence. So it's not Abraham here who passes between the pieces and says, may my flesh be torn apart if this covenant is broken. It's God who makes that vow. And we know, of course, that God never did break his part of the covenant. But Abraham's descendants did. And it was God's flesh in the incarnation of Jesus that was torn apart as a result. So 
in chapter 22 then, we also see a number of other foreshadowings of Jesus. I, I just find this fascinating. I really do. But in verse 2, first of all, God says to Abraham to take his only son, as we've already mentioned. The Greek version of the Old Testament translates only here as beloved. The two words are very often used interchangeably. And of course we hear of another son, another only beloved son in the Gospels, don't we? At Jesus' baptism where the voice of God says, this is my beloved son. And of course John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Secondly, in verse 6, Abraham places the wood for the fire on Isaac, who carries it up the mountain. A foreshadowing of Jesus carrying his own cross. John's Gospel tells us, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. And thirdly, Isaac in verse 7 asks his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham has no idea how prophetic his response is. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And God does indeed provide the lamb, both at that time and thousands of years later. And Jesus, of course, is described by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we've already said, the writer to the Hebrews says that it's as though Abraham receives Isaac back from death, foreshadowing, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. As I say, I just, I find this absolutely fascinating, mind-blowing almost, that even way back, right at the beginning of the Bible, God had a plan. He knew exactly how things were going to pan out. He always was. He always is, and he always will be, in complete control. God tested Abraham, and he asked him to make a sacrifice. But it wasn't a test simply just for its own sake. There was so much more that God wanted to say through this episode in Abraham's life, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Isaac, to his people through the ages, and even today, to us. God is still speaking through these events so many thousands of years ago. So in summary then, Abraham had faith and he continued to trust in God even though, humanly speaking, the situation seemed impossible. Abraham was obedient and as a result of his obedience, he experienced a miracle. Abraham needed to make sure that his focus was on God, that his priorities were in the right order. He needed to be focused on the giver of the gifts, not on the gifts themselves. And through Abraham and Isaac, we see a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah, a foreshadowing of events that would happen many hundreds of years later. The covenant with Abraham paved the way for the new covenant in Jesus, the covenant that brings life and hope, forgiveness to the whole world. So we're going to just 
spend a few moments now in quiet and just give God the opportunity to speak to us. I could talk for hours. My husband would tell you that I could probably could talk for hours. But unless you meet with God this morning, unless my words lead you into an encounter with God, I may just as well speak hot air. So we're going to just have a short time of, of guided prayer. And as I say, just to give God the opportunity to speak to us. Remember, God's voice is loving, he's gentle. If, if the voice that we hear is accusing and makes us feel shame and guilt, that is not the voice of God, that is the voice of the enemy. The voice of God is loving and gentle. You know, we do trust at times. Sometimes we need to think that he comes back time. I know I certainly do. But God is gentle and loving and he just wants to bring us back onto the path that he has set out for us. So, so let's pray. So is there an area where God is testing your faith at the moment? Is he asking you to take a step of obedience, just give him the opportunity to speak to you? something in your life perhaps that's become a distraction and God is asking you to reshift your focus back to him. Thank you, Lord, that even way back then, thousands of years ago, 
you have a plan to save us and to rescue us because your love is just so incredible, so 